0: Hello and
1: welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Well, the new FAFSA is here and the, quote, soft launch hasn't gone too well. Frequent maintenance pauses have locked students out for all but a few hours each day, and many say the information they've already entered into the system appears to have been lost. Our experts recap what we know so far, and they offer advice to admissions and financial aid professionals about what they should be doing to manage a very fluid and challenging situation. Give these folks a listen and enjoy.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. My name is Kathy Ruby, and I'm a principal working with EAB's Financial Aid Optimization Group. So unless you've been hiding under a rock, you've probably noticed that there has been the soft launch of the new FAFSA. Um, and spoiler, spoiler alert, it hasn't actually gone very well from what we can tell. Um, we're going to dig into what's happening and then and what led us to this point. And then we're going to offer some advice to admissions and financial aid folks about what they can be doing to help manage in a very, very fluid and cha- challenging situation. So luckily today, I'm joined in this discussion by my colleague, Brett Schrader who's very, very experienced in this area. <clears throat> so Brett, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us what you do here at EAB?
1: Yeah, hey, uh, Kathy, good to be with you. I'm Brett Trader. I'm uh, managing director of the aid optimization team. So um, like Kathy, we've both spent lots of time on campuses and now work at EAB and help colleges and universities try to figure this stuff out, in particular, this new FAFSA. <laughs>
0: never a dull moment. <clears throat> so, Brett, can I ask you to give us, just to kick us off, give us sort of an abbreviated version um, of the history of the simplified FAFSA, sort of what got us here today, how long they've been at this, and what's been the impetus for streamlining the FAFSA form? <clears throat>
1: sure. Uh, well, I um you know, if you go, I won't go too far back in time, but, you know, Lamar Alexander, former Senator uh, from Tennessee was the, uh, kind of the proponent of the, what he called the postcard FAFSA. So, you know, families basically check a box and say, use my tax returns and come up with my, um, my EFC or now called the SAI. And we'll get into that in a second, but, um, so when he retired, um, Congress finally passed a simplified FAFSA. And so the goal was to really make it easier for families. And so the, the official um, line is that it's gone from 108 questions to just 36. Um, it was passed. Uh, we're now three years ago yeah. that this yeah. uh, was passed. But, um, and it was actually supposed to be implemented last year. But the Department of Ed asked Congress for a little extra time because it's such a big Project and so um, now it will be implemented for the 24-25 academic year, which means students right now who are looking at college for next year or continuing in college next year are filling out the new FAFSA. So it's got a several changes to it, um, including the shorter, uh, shorter version. It directly connects to the IRS, so it officially pulls your tax return data over. Uh, with that comes a lot of. Um, minutiae around consent and data pri- uh, privacy and some of those things, which will create some challenges for families, which I think we'll get into. Um, and um, and it does include um, what, we'll, what we will see is a, a big expansion in Pell Grant uh, qualification <laughs> um, and, and changes the nature <laughs> of the way families can qualify for Pell Grants. Um, it won't be just based on the data they put in the FAFSA. It'll, uh, there, there are ways to qualify based on income and on family size so um some good things are coming out of it i think um and and i think in general this will be a positive thing for families overall uh but uh The department, this is such a big project that it's gotten behind. You know, the FAFSA is normally available in October, Kathy, as you know. And uh, about two months ago, three months ago, they said, well, um, it's going to be December. And then they said, well, it's going to be right at the end of December. And then (laughs) they launched it uh, on a soft basis, kind of in the middle of December and really it was soft launched up until just a few days ago and yeah. uh and so um so it was a lot of families were having trouble with it and and this has caused some consternation you know senators have gotten involved and said hey you know we need some clear guidance we've had families complaining um about uh, and counselors and and colleges all complaining about how challenging this is going to be um and so We're here to really, I think, talk about what, um, you know, what you can do as a college or university to get ready uh, to get ready for this. So, um, Kathy, maybe you can talk a little bit about what's what's happened um, and and what we expect to happen with the new FAFSA and what what colleges have been thinking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in the work that we do with our partners um, and I think some of what's not been covered as much in the media lately is that this is changing eligibility for families right they made some significant significant changes to the need analysis that are essentially as far as we can tell from the data that we looked at um you know it's it's really helping low and middle to low income families more easily qualify for pell grants right so as you as you said it's it's a big pell grant expansion and i i wish that um i almost wish every media article could remind everyone about this is that the government is getting more generous in what they're awarding they're just struggling to roll out the new process for it to happen, um, but I think there are some other, you know, there are some winners in terms of financial aid eligibility, and then as as we know, there there could be some losers as well in terms of some changes they made to the need analysis, asking for <clears throat> asking for um, businesses and farms now, and also. Um, Uh, taking out the the number in college as a factor in calculating the SAI. So- Kathy, can you just
1: expand on those two things a little bit? Like what are they doing with business and farms? Yeah,
0: let's be a little more specific. But um, so for the past at least 10 or 11 years, um, when a family completes the asset section of the FAFSA, um, they're asked to report the net worth of their investments and cash and savings. They're told to exclude their home equity and told to exclude their retirement assets. And for the past 10 to 11 years had also been told to exclude the value of a family farm and exclude the value of a family owned business if it was, if you had fewer than 100 employees. So those family farms and the small businesses are now included again. So when a family's filling out the asset section of the FAFSA, which by the way, not everyone has to complete, but for families who do get asked those questions, um, they're asked to include the net worth of a family farm, which is a big concern, of course, for some families um, who may live in an area of the country where they have a lot of value in their family farm. Um, and then also asked to report the value of any kind, any kind of business, no matter how many employees there are. So, you know, that's something as we're working with our partners, um, they're concerned, they're paying attention to how a student's eligibility might change from year to year. So when we think about what the schools are experiencing, you know, they're they're certainly thinking about um, how eligibility might change for their first year class, you know, their admitted students, but they're also paying close attention to what might happen to their returning students and how a student's eligibility might change for aid um without regard to <clears throat> the student situation actually changing, the formula just changed instead. So they're paying close attention um, to make sure that they've made accommodations and are ready to communicate to the returning students about how they're going to respond to that. That's do you want to talk a little bit more about that actually in terms of as we as we start to think about how schools are addressing these changes? Do you want to talk a little bit more about that in terms of what schools are doing or what the options are for returning students?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, then that's a great point, Kathy. You have with these FAFSA changes, we sort of when we're talking with partners, we really kind of say you have to have a plan for your new students and you have to have a plan for your continuing students. Because while they're all using the same FAFSA, a student who's continuing, obviously, if they gain Pell eligibility or they lose Pell eligibility because of some of the changes, they're going to be wondering, gosh, what happened? <laughs> and they may be calling your financial aid office and saying, what happened? So, um, And newer students, some may understand that as well if they've had siblings in college or, or gone through the FAFSA process before, but a lot of families are going to feel like um, well, this is the process, and so I'm doing it. So um, so I think what we've really been counseling our schools to be thinking about is, um, is how do you communicate to students? And uh, unfortunately, with this uh, slow launch of the FAFSA, the federal government uh, Department of Education has also thrown another wrinkle at colleges <laughs> in that normally once a student fills out the FAFSA, that data is available within a day to the colleges or universities, and the colleges and universities get the file directly sent to them or downloaded to their portal, and then they can load that data. Well, that data will not be available. We don't have a date yet, uh, but definitely probably till the end of January, if not a little longer. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole month window right now. When students are now filling out the FAFSA, and we can talk about some of the complications that students have had, but students are filling out the FAFSA right now and putting, you know, University of um, of Kathy Ruby on their list. And University of Kathy Ruby doesn't know that the student <laughs> filled out the FAFSA because the Department of Ed is not sending the data yet. And so a student it normally would be trained to go log on to the portal within a few days and check if, if that university got the FAFSA. Well, this year they're not. So, one of the things we're doing is really coaching our partners to think about what um, you know, what to say to students when they really are in the dark about this and can't really give any advice. Um, and so, um, so we're we're uh, we're working with partners there for partners that have, for example, for partners that have a very early admit day on campus. We have several partners with admit days in in early February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, know we're saying hey um have your students bring their fafsa submission summary which used to be called the the student aid report now called Mm -hmm. the fafsa submission summary um bring your fafsa submission summary so at least we can check to see that we're on the list we'll have your sai in front of us so maybe we can give you some coaching about what your aid award might look like Um, really it's going to be a mindset shift for these schools because What has traditionally been the case, at least since the prior prior year FAFSA came out, you know, six, seven years ago, is almost every student shows up on campus by February. If they've submitted a FAFSA, they already have a package in their hands. And so (laughs) that won't be happening anymore. Right, Kathy? Right.
0: And the focus is more on, okay, how can we get everyone who doesn't have a package? Through the pipeline, right now everybody possibly won't have a package. Won't,
1: yeah, won't yet. So, so what do you say to them, Kathy? What are some of the things that that you've been hearing about how like st- what the experience has been the last the first couple weeks of January with students and and maybe some of the things? I know NPR kicked out a story uh, earlier this week that yeah. caused a little consternation in the world.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of the the. Recent media coverage. There's been lots of media coverage about the soft launch um, itself, right? And about the the struggles that families are having. Um, The FAFSA, just to clarify, especially by the time this podcast is uh, published, the FAFSA is available 24 7, but some families are still having difficulties filling it out. Um, And the biggest concern, I think, Brett, that we've heard is sometimes a family can't get all the way through it in one sitting. Sometimes if the parent has not well all the time if the parent hasn't gotten their FSA ID ahead of time. So we've had some, we've heard back about some FAFSA completion events where not everyone can even fully complete it because it now takes a couple days before a parent's FSA ID can be approved. So that's that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that we're making sure that our schools are sharing with their their families, which is parents, if you don't have an FSA ID before you do the FAFSA, make sure you give yourself a couple days. Um, but yes, the NPR article. So, and there was a Washington Post article a couple of weeks before that. So, the the article is about how the Department of Education um, did not build in the inflationary increases that are um, that were required in the law for the income protection allowances. So, let me let me interpret some of that language. So, within the the need analysis, or so the calculation of the SAI the income protection allowance is kind of what it sounds like it's an amount of money that is used that's a it's a number that protects your income from being expected to be paid for, to be used to pay for college right so it protect it, in the context of figuring out um essentially the formula starts with your gross income, subtracts a bunch of allowances, and then expects a percentage of that to go to go toward the student aid index.
1: So, Kathy, um, these are like uh, allowances for living expenses. Like, yes, you know everyone for, everyone has to live on their income. So, yeah,
0: food, housing, medical expenses, and there are different amounts depending on your household size. It used to vary depending on how many kids you had in college. Now it's just based on household size. Um, a dependent student. Who you know is with their parents gets a certain amount of their income protected so they can go get a part-time job and not be expected to, to, to uh contribute too much of that to college. So the first thing to remember though is that the FAFSA Simplification Act increased those income protection allowances by about 20%, sometimes even more. And and that did happen. So the the, the law put in place income protection allowances for 23-24, and then it said. And by the way, then you have to increase them every year for inflation. Those were two big things, right, Brett? Those, those IPAs had not increased not in many, many years. And the fact that they will be increasing it for inflation every year is, is a is a great thing. Um, but the department missed it for the first year. We think it's just one year because the ones in the law are for 23-24. And now we're talking about the 24-25 academic year. So. Um, so the, the most important thing to remember is the big thing happened. The IPAs did go up. They just didn't go up as much as they perhaps should have. I'm a little bit of a neat analysis nerd. So I actually went in and figured out, you know, for a family of four, how much of a difference in the SAI is it gonna make? And I estimated about three to $700. In other words, the SAI will be about three to $700 higher than it should be. Does that actually translate into lost dollars for a student? It really depends on the college they're attending, what kind of aid they were qualifying for in the first place. Obviously, if their SAI is so high that they don't qualify for aid, it doesn't matter. But if they're in the middle somewhere, it will matter. Um, but it might not actually translate into dollars. Um, so the concern, I think, is simply that there's a lot of media attention creating more panic and less faith in the system. And I think that was the next I mean, what? You know, as we think about this soft launch and um the challenges, what are our concerns there? I mean, as you think about it, Brett, what are the concerns about the media coverage and, and simply just the glitches that are here now and that are creating confusion and and panic? Yeah, it's a
1: good <laughs> Good question. Thanks for the uh, the needs analysis explanation. That's always helpful. I always learn more <laughs> when I talk to Kathy Ruby about needs analysis. So hopefully everyone listening does too. It's um, just math,
0: Brett. It's just, it's that's just right. math.
1: That's right. You make me smarter every time, Kathy. Um, it, yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, anytime, unfortunately, the our world we live in, our media loves a good um a good fire or a good emergency or a good sort of negative headline. And, um, yeah. and and that's kind of what we're getting with this new FAFSA. And there have been problems. There's no question about it. Students have had trouble getting in. They were throttling um, back on that first day, first couple of days. They were not letting everybody in who wanted to fill out a FAFSA. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking from personal experience, I have a son in college and I, I went on on January 2nd to give it a shot and I waited in line for two hours to get in. So um only only maybe equivalent to getting Taylor Swift tickets to fill out the FAFSA. So um so I it took me a while to get in. And and then people have had other issues where yeah it kicked kick them out. It may have I, I talked to someone who it emailed them after every section they filled out that they filled out that section. <laughs> so, so there's definitely some glitches. And so anytime you're reporting, Hey, there's glitches or like this NPR story and Washington Post story that said, Hey, you're going to get less money. Um, you know, it, it makes students more skeptical of the process, like you said, and probably even some less inclined to to fill out the FAFSA or even think like, hey, is college right for me? This all just sounds like maybe I'll just wait. And we've seen over the last few years, several students who have decided to wait to go to college. And we know from all of our research that if a student doesn't go to college right away after high school, they generally don't come back. They don't come, mm-hmm. they don't end up yeah. getting to college. Like they sit and wait. And so, you know, we worry for, particularly for our students um, who don't have um, a lot of support network around them, parents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters that are willing to push them. It's pretty easy if you run into a problem filling out the FAFSA to just walk away from it. And so I think yeah. that's one of our, I think, right, Kathy, I mean, this is where we, worry is our students that that don't have that. And luckily, though, on a positive note, the department did figure out how to work with families. For example, we have lots of partners that have families where the student is a U.S. citizen, but the parents are not. Um, And and sometimes the parents are undocumented. Um, And it was a real question about how those parents were going to get logged into a system that was a little more complicated. Luckily, it looks like the department had figured that one out. Um, So I think, you know, give them credit for, for fixing that that potential issue, which would affected a lot of students, particularly in Texas and California um, mm-hmm. and, and other yeah. Southern states as well. So, so I, you know, but I, I think it's just like always, um, Kathy, when we work with our, our, our students and we work with our colleges, we, um, any hurdle is gonna be a problem because um, every hurdle you put in front of students is one more student that decides, hey, this isn't it's my thing. Right. And yeah. and that's, I think that's our, that's kind of our worry. And, and, and that's, um, and that's, that's where we really feel like, like we're, we're most worried um, for our partners and for our students. And, um, and, and I think we'll know hopefully in the next couple of weeks, wh- um, how many students have filled out the FAFSA and how that compares to previous years. And I think we'll be Watching really closely yeah. uh, for that. What 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 are you hearing from partners, Kathy? What are they What are they worried about, or what are they sort of thinking about as they now have to roll out financial aid awards, you know, months later than they have the last few years?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely um, they're worried and they're they're stressed. I think some many of some of them are getting creative. About things they can be doing in the meantime. Um, I guess if we look at the bright side, these are this we can step back and think of this as an opportunity to re- rethink some processes and some communications. Um, as always, and you know this, our colleagues in the financial aid offices are trying to help students. Right, they're trying to understand what's happening and and help families as much as they as they can. Um, you know, I think when we think about what we're telling our partners and what they're telling us that they're doing, I think some themes emerge like over-communicating. Um, that's, that's especially important during these times when things are changing and things are uncertain. Um, I'm actually going to circle back to a very, uh, and, and give a very pragmatic piece of advice to our college and university colleagues in terms of what they can be doing in, along the lines of over- communicating. You referred to this period of time, the next few weeks when families are filling out the FAFSA, but the college doesn't know it. And um, I
1: refer to (laughs) it as the dark times, as
0: the dark, times, (laughs) definitely the dark times. And um, and some schools, you know, you referred to a portal, meaning the college has a portal that the student can log into to see whether or not they've gotten their FAFSA. And I'm finding out as I'm talking to more of my partners that not everybody has that portal. Mm. And I'm actually also remembering back to when I worked for, I've worked for a period of time helping families figure out how to pay for college. And one of the most common questions we got during FAFSA season was, how do I know the school got my FAFSA? That was even in normal times, right? When the school was actually getting it the next day, um, because the student sees the list of schools it was sent to, but you know, you know, who trusts that? that it actually got there. Right. Right, And so I think more and more of my partners are realizing the importance of no matter when they get the FAFSA and next year, when we're back to normal, whether it's October 2nd or whether it's March 15th, that a quick email to the student and parent acknowledging we've got your FAFSA and this is what our process is from here on out. That's especially more important this year, of course. Um, But important in any year, quite frankly. So that's just an an example of, I think, a process that some of our partners are now rethinking.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it is always um, has been surprising to me that um, that Distance between submitting a FAFSA and and getting an aid award sometimes can feel really yeah. lonely <laughs> from a college, right? <laughs> yeah, and 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 I and I can tell you, both Kathy and I have worked on campuses. Sometimes it's actually kind of hard to communicate that, but, um, yep. but. Uh, just because of the way the data works and everything, but but I do I agree with you, Kathy. Like just over communicating that um, is is a big deal. And and the other thing when when you say, I mean, one of the things that um, I've been working with a lot of partners on is is saying, hey, look, you don't have to create a pie in the sky, but communicate to students like, hey, as soon as we get your FAFSA and we can load it into our system. We feel like we can deliver an aid award to you in three weeks or four weeks or one mm-hmm. week or two weeks, whatever that is, and then try to meet that meet that goal, like just so that they know, um, right. because the worst thing I think you can do is have a family sitting there at the dinner table going, did you get your aid award yet? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know, know when. when they're supposed to. Yeah. When is it going to happen? Right. So right. I think that's, that's one of those things that I think our partners, uh, that colleges and universities can really just do you um, just, just probably do a little bit better job of. And this year in particular is going to have to be uh, done a little bit better. What do you what is Kathy, in terms of what you sense, do you feel like um, we're going to, you know, if everybody is going to be delayed on this, it's going to squeeze students uh, coming up to, you know, that May decision time. Don't you think?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, on the, on the one hand, this is a timeline that, we used to go through every year, right? Before prior, prior year, the FAFSA wasn't available till January 1st. Obviously, this is very different in that there's no data coming for a month and we're not even sure how well that's all going to work and all that sort of thing. So I think there's real potential for timelines to get squeezed. I don't think we're advocating that institutions need to adjust their May 1 deadline. And of course, as you know, many of the institutions we work with are, are working on their class well throughout the summer. Um, But I think it's going to be important for institutions to be flexible um, and open to granting extensions and and communicating that to the students who might need it, because it really will depend on who the students selection set of schools is. There will be some students who will have all of their packages when they need them to make their decisions, but then there'll be others who may not. Um, We were talking earlier today, too, about there will also be students who might make a decision without a full picture, huh? Right? They may have some magical thinking around, well, I don't have my financial aid award yet, but I really want to go to this school, so I'm going to deposit, and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. So there's that potential, too. It's just going to be a long summer of really understanding who are your students who deposited Um, when did they deposit and what information did they have when they, when they made that decision?
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, we, you and I have talked a lot about this, the, um, any comparative data you have is going to be wonky this year, right? So yeah. normally this time of year, we're saying, hey, you had, you know, 1,200 FAFSAs in by January 12th, and and this year you have, you know, 1,300. It's looking good. And <laughs> this year we're going to have two or three months of, well, you had 1,200 FAFSAs last year, but we have no idea what you have this year. So, um, and, you know, good advice, I think, you know, you and I have, have it's, we sort of say it jokingly, but I think it's really serious is if you have dashboards that track FAFSAs that the campus sees or like the president sees yeah. or the cabinet sees, you may want to give them a heads up on this that those aren't going to look um, right for a while because, um, the, you know, the worst thing you can do is probably, you know, scare your president uh, enough that he pulls up the dashboard one day and then and then goes, oh my gosh, and then gives you a call and says, what's going on, right? So, um, so just understanding that the whole time and benchmarking time shift and all of that is going to happen this year, and then you know, thinking ahead, it's going to happen next year too because we're going to go back to, <laughs> we're going to go back to the, um, the sort of no, the, as far as we know, the Department of Ed has said, uh, you know, a year from now we're going to be back on the October FAFSA release. So you know, this year's data is going to look weird compared to any of the last few years and any years looking forward. So yeah. um, it's going to be a little bit. A little bit like when everybody moved their deadlines during COVID, Um, And so then you couldn't really have any comparison data on how are we tracking compared to uh, compared to last year. That was back when we thought COVID was going to be, oh, we'll shut down for three weeks and everything (laughs) will be fine. So um, so hopefully this won't be quite that extended of a of a pain uh, pain point. But um,
0: not to not to even mention the EFC versus SAI comparison, like how how completely different that's going to be if you're comparing the profile of your class based on that. Yes. Totally different world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Different world. I hope though, in the long run, and and maybe as we, as we start to wrap up here is, um, you know, I kind of hope, and and Kathy curious, if you have any idea thoughts on this, but I kind of hope once we settle in, this will be a better process for families. Mm -hmm. um, And, and we'll, you know, we will see more Pell money out there that students qualify for. It, it, it actually, I think, I, I speaking personally. I went through the FAFSA process. I would say it is easier. It is a little more straightforward, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I think you know hopefully that'll mean mean better things ahead, despite some of the challenges. What what, what do you think as as we wrap up here? What, any last piece of advice or things uh, things that we should be thinking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. As if we if we end on an optimistic note here, I mean, when you think about it, what they've done is huge and to connect directly to the IRS. And yes, there are glitches, but I think we're also seeing plenty of feedback that says, I got through the FAFSA and it asked me hardly any questions, did I do it right? And as families get, and they did, they probably did it right, they yeah. just are surprised. And so as, as everyone gets used to that, um, you know, this should be a more successful process and hopefully it will increase access and and improve FAFSA completion rates because it will be <clears throat> it will be an easier process
1: and And that's the goal, isn't it?
0: Yes, that's the goal.
1: Well, glad. Uh, I, I think uh, any. I guess I, I I can wrap it up since Kathy kicked it off. Um, you know, enjoyed uh, spending time uh, today talking with you, Kathy. It's always fun to talk about FAFSA and and FAFSA geekdom. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, folks got something out of it, and we um, we will uh, probably keep on this. And I I can envision another podcast in a couple of months about how this all all, mm-hmm. all shook out for our partners. So. Um yes. glad to uh, glad to spend time.
0: Great to spend time, Brett.
1: Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when our guests take a look at the growing non-consumption market and explain why cost is not the culprit. Until next week, thank you for your time.